Good morning. All right, good to see you guys. I'm cracking up as I'm I was sitting in my office listening to Anna while she was up here greeting you guys and reminding us that that greeting time is when she met her husband. And I think that's a really fun story, but any of you guys like single people feel a little bit of pressure? Like <laughs> Yeah, dude, for sure. Like, oh my gosh. Uh, either I'm about to get proposed to or I'm going to run to the bathroom or get a cup of coffee right now. So I don't know. Apparently we're like running kind of a dating service here as well. Uh, again, glad you're here. Kind of a weird morning waking up in a little cold and rainy, kind of a weird summer morning. But good on you for getting out of bed and rolling through the muck to get here. My name's Garrett. If we haven't met before, I'm one of the pastors on staff. And we have been taking the summer to go through the book of Psalms. It's the summer of Psalms. So I'm not sure what week we're in, but each week is a different Psalm and we're just spending time going through it. And we started every Sunday with this same phrase, the same explanation about the Psalms, that the Psalms are simply this, God's word given to us to pray, say, and sing back to him. That's what the Psalms are. It's a collection of songs, of poems, of artistic work that God included in his scriptures for us to pray, say, and sing back to him. And this morning, I get to share with you my most favorite psalm of all, Psalm 23. I love this psalm so much that I named my son after it. His name is Shepherd. Some of you might think that's a little bit of an odd name for a child, and that's okay. Tawny and I have come to terms with that because honestly... We think some of your kids' names are pretty weird, too. (laughs) A couple weeks ago, uh, I was at the memorial service for my grandmother's 96, wonderful years old, loved Jesus, so it was more a celebration of life than anything else. And uh, her sister, who's 92 years old, her name is Olive, lives in California, and she flew up from California to be a part of the service, which I thought was incredible that she did that. And um, after the service, we were at the reception, and I was carrying my son, Shepard, around, and um, I refer to Olive as Aunt Olive. Aunt Olive had never met my son before, and so she sees me, and she walks over and says, now who do we have here? And I said, oh, this is my son, you know, great pride, right? This is my son. Your son, what's his name? I said, his name is Shepard. Now, here's what you need to know about Aunt Olive. She's a straight shooter. Okay, there's very few things about her that is left unsaid. Like she says what's on her mind. So at this point, when I say his name, Shepherd, her face starts to scrunch up a little bit. And she goes, Shepherd? And I said, yeah, that's right. This is my son, Shepherd. And she says, what in the world is wrong with you? <laughs> well, the list is long and distinguished. Where do you want me to start, Ann Olive? <laughs> so Psalm 23 probably the most famous, well-known psalm of them all. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you're probably at least somewhat familiar with this psalm. There's, there's no psalm that is quoted more, that's put on cards more. Like, this is a well-known and well-used psalm. It is without question, of all the Old Testament scriptures, the most famous passage And uh, St. Augustine referred to this as the martyr's hymn because many Christians, when they were being tortured, would recite this as they were being tortured for their faith in Christ. Abraham Lincoln referred back to Psalm 23 in his deep, dark days of depression during the Civil War. 
Some of you might remember that George W. Bush shared Psalm 23 to a weary and wandering nation on the heels of the terrorist attacks of September 11th, 2001. It was written over 3,000 years ago. Can you believe that? It was written over 3,000 years ago and has brought comfort to millions and millions of people. And here's one of the things I love so much about this psalm. It is so simple that a child could grasp it. And in that vein, rather than reading it to you this morning like I usually would, or sometimes we have people stand up and and read to us, rather than that, this morning, I'm going to have a group of kids read us Psalm 21. So if you want to get ready, if you want to follow along on whatever you read your Bible on, feel free. And let's hear Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. For his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup on the sofa. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, 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 forever. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, forever. So good. And to hear kids read that, right? I mean, it's just so simple. To, to hear a child read that just puts a smile on your face. But here's the other thing about Psalm 23 is it is so deep that theologians can drown in it. And so we're going to dive into it this morning. And my hope is to bring to life the meaning and the beauty of this incredible psalm. All right, you guys ready? Yeah, you're waking up with me. I'm feeling it. You will soon. All right, we're jumping in. I'm going to go back to verse 1, Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. Stop right there. Pay close attention to how this psalm begins. The Lord is my shepherd. There's so much here. I feel like I could do the message alone just on this, but I'm going to try and keep going through it. But I want you to realize what's happening here. The psalm begins with a declaration. And everything else we're going to look at for the rest of this psalm hinges on this declaration. The Lord is my shepherd. And if that's not true, and if that's not declared, none of the rest of this happens or matters. It all hinges on this. See, the Lord David, King David is writing this and he's saying the Lord and the word here for Lord is literally I am who I am. It is the great and exhaustible name of God. David is proclaiming, is declaring the Lord. It refers to God's timelessness and self-sufficiency. His timelessness, that he was, he is, and always will be. That his eternal traits are constant and never changing. And his self-sufficiency, that he needs nothing outside of himself. In him is the fullness of everything. The Lord 
is my shepherd. And shepherd's interesting because David, some of you know, that is his profession. He is a shepherd. But catch this, he's not writing this psalm from the perspective, from the vantage point of a shepherd. He's writing this psalm as a sheep. And as a sheep, David is declaring the Lord, the great I am, God is my shepherd. So if you hear nothing else this morning, if you're kind of like, all right, here we go, I'm kind of getting ready to check out. If you hear nothing else, hear this. I want you to write it down, seriously. Like, if you're in the front row, you sat on pen and paper. The rest of you, it's on the back of the chairs. Grab the note card, grab the pen. If you hear nothing else, hear this. Why would David do that? Why would he put himself in the place of a lowly little sheep and write this confession, this proclamation, this declaration down that the Lord is my shepherd? Why would he do that? Because God is good. He is the good shepherd. That's why David would say, the Lord is my shepherd because he's good. Jump with me, if you will, into the New Testament. So Psalms occurs in the Old Covenant. This is before Jesus appeared on the earth. But jump with me real quick into the New Testament to John chapter 10, the gospel according to John chapter 10. And we get a picture of Jesus now. He's here and he's teaching. And in John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus actually tells us who he is. He names himself. Here's what it says in John 10, verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Again, David knows something about being a shepherd, and he knows the difference between a good one and a bad one. He knew from firsthand experience that the lot in the life of any particular sheep had to do with which shepherd they were under the care of. Some were gentle, kind, intelligent, brave, and their devotion to their flock undying. Under one shepherd, sheep would struggle, starve, and suffer endless hardship. In another's care, they would flourish and thrive. And so David is declaring with pride, with admiration, with devotion. It's almost as if David's bragging, the Lord God is my shepherd. Because he is good. He's a good shepherd. And he's mine. And because of that, Watch what follows. Because he is under the care of a good shepherd, the second half of verse one, what does David say? I shall not want. In other words, I've got everything I need. I lack nothing. I am full in him because of him. He, my shepherd, is the fullness of everything. I lack nothing. I lack nothing. So now with this declaration, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David goes on through the rest of the psalm to lay out three reasons in which he believes this is the good shepherd. Jumping in, verses two and three, he is a good shepherd because he provides us with direction. He provides us with direction. Verse two, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. 
He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I don't know if the beginning of verse two catches you up a little bit or not, but when I read that, he makes me. Kind of like, wait, it makes me? That sounds a little bit authoritative. He makes me. No one makes me do anything, right? But here's the thing about sheep. They don't care for themselves very well. Without the care of a shepherd, they're prone to wander, get lost, and die. I want to read to you a little excerpt out of a book that I think is amazing. It's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, written by a guy named Philip Keller. If you've never heard of this, write it down. A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, Philip Keller. It's like six bucks on Amazon. And it, Philip Keller, born in East Africa, grew up around sheep, around herdsmen, and he himself was a shepherd for many years. And so it's an interesting look at someone who David, King David, who was a shepherd, writing this psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. A guy saying, in today's day and age, what does it actually mean to be a shepherd? And what does he look like? And what is some of the imagery that possibly we're missing because this just isn't part of our normal every day? So here's what Philip Keller has to say about sheep and uh, their struggle to care for themselves, okay? He says this, the strange thing about sheep is that because of their very makeup, it's almost impossible for them to be made to lie down unless four requirements are met. Owing to their timidity, they refuse to lie down unless they are free from all fear. Because of their social behavior with a flock, sheep will not lie down unless they are free from friction with others within the flock. If tormented by flies or parasites, sheep will not lie down. Only when free from these pests can they relax. Come on, anyone got a few pests in your life you'd like to be free from? You don't have to raise your hand, but come on. Lastly, the fourth thing, sheep will not lie down as long as they feel in need of finding food. They must be free from hunger. Get an amen from all our hangry people out there. It continues, the unique aspect of the picture is that it is only the sheepman himself who can provide release from these anxieties. You catching this? There's some deep imagery here. It is actually he who makes it possible for them to lie down, to rest, to relax, to be content and quiet and flourishing. A flock that is restless, discontented, always agitated and disturbed, never does well. He concludes it's the same is true with people. He makes me lie down in green pasture. Well, maybe that sounds kind of nice. He leads me beside still water. Yeah, that sounds nice. He restores my soul. That sounds amazing. Maybe I'll let him make me if that's the kind of stuff he's going to do for me. Palestine, where David wrote this psalm, is a dry, brown, sunburned wasteland of a place. There are no naturally occurring green pastures in Palestine. They just didn't exist, and they didn't happen by chance. The only way you would find a green pasture, the only way that they would come about, is that they would be the product of tremendous labor, tremendous insight, tremendous care of a careful shepherd. 
The shepherd literally created green pastures in areas where they were foreign and could not survive without constant attention and care. It's fascinating to me. Great, great care. Sometimes we read this and we think, oh, this is a really pretty area, you know, like Yosemite or something where there's just beautiful meadows and wildflowers and brooks. This is Palestine. This ain't Yosemite. There's no green pastures unless a loving, caring shepherd makes green pastures. He leads me beside still water. A couple weeks ago, if you were here, Scott shared with us out of Psalm 1. I believe it was the third verse where it talks about a wise person is like a tree planted next to streams of living water. And Scott said, hey, look, this doesn't mean that they literally planted the streams on the bank of a river. No, it was usually the careful care of a farmer who would dig ditches away from the stream and create culverts, irrigation channels, irrigation systems that would lead the water to another place, would divert it. And then, only then, when he had it all carefully made, built, and managed, would he dig up a tree and transplant it next to the streams of living water. Beautiful picture of a thoughtful and thought-filled farmer. And David has given us a very similar image here when he says he leads me beside still water because, again, as a shepherd, David knew sheep were skittish. Anytime you take them out and take them anywhere, you introduce exponential variables into the equation. They were easily startled. Try and bring them up to a stream and they can get spooked. They can run off. They can get lost. They can get attacked by predators. A number of things. And so when they could, the shepherds would do a similar thing. They would dig ditches and divert water from the streams into these contained and maintained areas where the sheep were already safe and allow them to drink from still waters where they were calm, where they were peaceful, where they were cared for. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. In this book, Keller talks about this uh, phenomenon, if you will, called cast sheep. And a cast sheep, if you haven't heard of it, is a sheep that lays down to rest, and it can roll on its side because it wants to stretch out its legs. And I picture like every morning when I let my dog out of her kennel, and she first has to do like the downward dog bow, right? She does all these stretching moves. You know, maybe a sheep just needs to kind of do that and stretch its legs out. But sheep are funny animals, right? Like if you can picture them in your mind, they get these little toothpick legs and a big old round furry body. And so when they lay down and stretch out their legs, they can lose their center of gravity and actually roll onto their side. And they get stuck. And they're stupid. And so they freak out. And they start moving their legs frantically. And I've watched videos of this. If you want a good 30 seconds, go check it out. Cast sheep on YouTube. It's hilarious. They frantically are moving their legs, which causes them to roll even further over onto their back. And the poor sheep in this position is helpless. It cannot get itself up. And as if that's not bad enough that it's stuck, when a sheep is on its back, gases begin to build in its rumen and can lead to death. On a hot day, it's said within just a few short hours, a sheep can die. A shepherd knows this. And they survey constantly their land, their sheepfold. They know every single one of them. Every single one of them. 
and they look and they count and they name and any of them cast. Imagine if one of them was a ewe who was pregnant with lambs. The death of that would be devastating. You don't just lose one, you lose future ones. And so a careful shepherd looks and watches and he sees the cast sheep and he goes over and he picks that poor little thing up and he sets it on its feet. The gases settle. He restores my soul. Isn't this imagery cool? When you begin to look at it from a shepherd's vantage point of what is going on here, over and over and over again, in the first three verses, we're getting this picture of just this incredibly caring, loving, nurturing, good shepherd. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. A shepherd's name and reputation depends on how effectively and efficiently they manage their flock. We are a representation of who he is. So of course he is going to care deeply about our well-being. A good shepherd provides us direction. He also provides us with protection. David transitions the metaphor a bit. We go from green pastures and still waters into verse four where he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Notice, David's still declaring. Even when I'm not in utopia, even when I'm going through the valleys of life, even when I'm in the shadow, I'm still good because I'm with you. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Make no mistake, I'm not trying to say that with the shepherd, with Jesus, that everything is good all the time. That's not what I'm saying because there are valleys in life. There are shadows in life. Shadows can be scary. In dark and cold, things lurk in the shadows waiting for us. But as you read through this, what does David say? He says, though I walk through the valley, not to the valley, the shepherd's not taking you to the valley and leaving you there. The shepherd is walking you through the valley. And it's not the valley of death. It's the valley of the shadow of death. Can a shadow hurt you? Can the shadow of a knife or a sword cut you? Can the shadow of a tree falling crush you? It's just a shadow. Yeah, it can startle you. It can scare you, but it's just a shadow. It cannot hurt you. The good shepherd, yes, he leads you into these places, but he's not leaving you there. He's bringing you through it. And the good shepherd, who's manifested in King Jesus, as we read in John 10, lays his life down for his sheep. Jesus, if you don't know the story, defeated the power, the grip, as the Apostle Paul said, the sting of death by dying and not staying dead. But he rose again. And so all that remains on this planet, on this earth of death is a shadow of death. And it can't hurt you. It cannot 
hurt you. And even if our mortal bodies die, death can't hurt us because our soul lives for eternity with him. It actually only gets better. Come on, this is good news. This is a good shepherd. The shadow can't hurt you. And he's not leaving you in the valley. He's bringing you through. In ancient times, when the shepherd would take their sheep out of their contained areas because different seasons of the year, they had to move them. You can't stay on the mountaintops all the time. That's why they'd end up in the valleys because the harsh weather comes in and the snow comes in. They have to take them down into the valleys. Which there's deep imagery here too because sometimes the valley is what's best for you and where we're safest and we're tested and we're tried but he's leading you through it because in the summer months he's bringing you back up not leaving you there. This is incredible stuff. And on these journeys shepherds would bring these either bring them with them or more likely build little sheep pens little low-lying walls in the evenings and the days where they were taking a break or they needed to sleep. They'd build these sheep folds, these pens, low walls so the sheep couldn't get out and predators couldn't get in, and there was just a small opening left. If you think about it, they're not backpacking with a gate on them, right? They don't have fencing. So the shepherd would lay across that opening. Only way the sheep could get out is to go over the shepherd. But think about the other direction. The only way a predator could get in, the only way a wolf could get in, is to come over the shepherd. Remember the old saying, over my dead body? Come on. His body ain't dead. He defeated death. So if you want to come at me, you got to come through my gatekeeper. You got to come through King Jesus. Good luck with that. He's a good shepherd. He laid his life down for me. And he sits at the gate and keeps me safe, allows me to lie in green pasture, leads me beside still water. He guides me. He protects me. And he provides for me. He provides for me. There's this really cool transition as we go into verse five. No longer are we out in the field, in the pasture, as a sheep with our shepherd. But now David transitions the metaphor and we're inside a tent, inside a home, as the guest. And God is our host. And he's a lavish host. It says, beginning in verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. From the valley of the shadow of death to you prepare a meal for me. You anoint my head and my cup overflows. What an incredible contrast. What's David doing here? In the Middle East, it's famous for hospitality. Maybe the closest thing we get to here is Southern hospitality. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. When I was um, early in college, I went to Atlanta for a summer. I went to the Olympics there, stayed in an area called Stone Mountain. And a couple of my buddies and I we're walking around, sightseeing, visiting places, and, and we met some locals and started talking and told them, you know, we were tourists and we were there for the Olympics. And these people were the most gracious, hospitable people I've ever met in my life. I mean, honestly, no joke, within five minutes, we're inviting us over to their house and we um, sacrificed safety, 
for hunger, right? We're like, I hope we're safe because I'm, I'm a poor college kid and I need some food, so I'm going to go with these people. And we were safe. And they gave us lemonade. They gave us sweet tea. They gave us appetizers. They gave us an incredible meal. They gave us dessert. An entire evening, several hours was spent with this family that never met us before. Incredible hospitality. And it's similar in the Middle East. It would have been common in David's time to go to someone's home and they would greet you with a kiss. One side, then the other, and a third time on the cheek that they started on. Their servant would come, take your shoes, your sandals off, wash your feet. Like I said, it's hot, barren, dry area. So they would put oil on your head and on your face to relieve it from the feeling of being scorched by the sun all day. And they'd give you a cup of wine and put honey in it to ease your parched throat. I love this image that he is painting here, that God is bringing him in to his tent and serving him and meeting his most basic needs. Listen to this. God is meeting his most basic of needs. As a shepherd, he knew that he was out in the sun all day. Most of him would have been covered, but he can't cover his whole face. And a shepherd's skin gets dry, cracked, chapped, even peeling. So he comes in and he anoints my head with oil. He soothes my skin, moisturizes my face. And he knows my throat is dry and parched from breathing that desert air, that dust. And so he gives me a glass of wine with honey in it. And not just enough. He doesn't short pour me. He keeps pouring till it overflows. This abundance, more than enough, lavishing on me, caring for me, guiding me, protecting me, and providing for me. What a good shepherd. What a good shepherd. And therefore, David ends with this. Surely, surely, another declaration pay attention how it starts and how it ends he is declaring surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and i will dwell in the house of the lord forever surely he's declaring the lord's my shepherd i declare it even though i walk through the valley of shadow of death i declare it and at the end of the day surely Goodness and mercy will follow me. Sometimes I think this psalm can be misinterpreted or misused because oftentimes we'll hear it in the context of a funeral. As we talk about the valley of the shadow of death and we talk about in the house of the Lord forever, and that's fine, that's good. But it's not the whole story. This psalm is first and foremost about the shepherd. It is a declaration that he is a good shepherd and in him we lack nothing. That's what this psalm's about. And the second thing it's about is that it's about right now. Right now and forever. I talked about John chapter 10 verse 11 where Jesus told us who he is. He said, I am the good shepherd, right? I wanna go back to that and I wanna go one verse earlier to verse 10, because very rarely in the scriptures do we see Jesus tell us who he is and explicitly state why he came. 
John 10, verse 10 says, this is the words of Jesus, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That they may have life and life abundantly. And then he goes on, the very next verse, to say, I am the good shepherd. I lay my life down for my sheep. David knows this. He doesn't know Jesus, but he knows the Father. He knows the Father's good, and so surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of this life, right now, right now, and everlasting, forever. Jesus is our good shepherd. He cares for us. He guides us. He protects us. He provides for us now and forever. And I want you to just, I want you to hear this. It begins with a declaration. It begins with the declaration that the Lord is your shepherd. Because without that declaration, as I said at the beginning, none of the rest of this can happen. If you can't bring yourself under the leadership of the good shepherd, then you forfeit, you sacrifice all of the fullness of him that comes along with that. But if you're willing to lay aside your human pride in the systems that we've grown up learning and hearing all of our lives, if you're willing to lay that aside and say, wait a second, you're telling me that God loves me so much that all I have to do is acknowledge him and that goodness and mercy will then follow me all the days of my life? That's what I'm telling you. And when you realize that he's good, it's not a picture of an authoritative, mean, power-hungry God. This is a picture of someone that goes to great lengths to prepare places for us. This isn't the God we always hear about. But this is what he says about himself. In me is the fullness of everything. Begins with the declaration. So here's... My question, maybe better put, here's my invitation to you. Have you declared Jesus is Lord? As David said, the Lord is my shepherd. Have you made that declaration in your life that the Lord is your shepherd? Have you willingly brought yourself to a place where you acknowledge that he's good and because of that, you want to follow him? Because if you haven't, today is a great day to do that. And everything that I just read from this psalm and so much more is waiting for you. All that has to happen. Scripture tells us that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he will save us and bring us into a new system, a new kingdom. That's why we're here today. That's why we do all of this. There's no better day to declare the Lord as your shepherd, as your leader, as your king than today. And if you're here today and you, say, you would say, yeah, I've declared that. Maybe many times I've declared that. But I'm not sure I feel the second half of that first verse. I'm not sure I feel I have all that I want. Maybe I've forgotten that the fullness of everything is in him and I've got a little bit lost in the world and trying to make sense of stuff and I lost sight of that. My invitation to you is to redeclare today. To redeclare the Lord is your shepherd. You have all that you want, all that you need. You lack nothing. And even in the scary times, even in the shadows, even in the valley, 
He's with you. And he's bringing you through it. And even at the point of death, whenever that comes, any different point in time for us, even in that, death has lost its sting because you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Come on, this is good news. And it's available to everyone. No strings attached. Just a simple acknowledgement. I love you, God, and I'm going to choose to follow you because you're good. You're good. You're so good. And so I don't want to embarrass anyone. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or come down here. But if you're in a place this morning where you're ready to declare for the first time in your life that he's your shepherd, if you would, I would love you to write it down on that connection card Anna pointed out at the beginning of the service because I'd like to pray for you and I'd just like to mail you some resources this week to help you as you embark on this new spiritual journey. And if you're re-declaring, if you're re-upping this morning, I would also love it if you would write that down. Because simply put, I think there's power in putting pen to paper and writing something down. It's like putting a stake in the ground, saying, okay, this is a new beginning. This is a new beginning for me. And myself and the staff and our prayer team will stand in faith with you this week as you re-declare that the Lord is your shepherd. And I'm going to give us some space and some time to worship and to reflect on this. We've got various stations set up for you to do so. In front of me is candles. And um, lighting a candle here is simply a symbol of, it's symbolic of sending a prayer up to heaven for you or someone you know and love. On either side are communion stations, the Lord's Supper, where you can partake of the bread and the cup. In the back, there's members of our prayer team. If you want someone to just physically pray with you, they're going to be there. And here's what I'd like to say. I'm going to go back there as soon as I'm done. And if you, for the first time today, have decided to put your trust in Jesus and declare him as your shepherd, again, you don't have to, but I would love it. It would be an honor if you would come back and I would love to pray with you, give you a hug. Best day of your life. Best day of your life. So we're going to lower the lights going to recap what we've heard through Psalm 23 in a video. I want you to just reflect on that. And then the band is going to be up here and lead us in some songs. You can stand and you can wander about the room and respond in whatever way you feel compelled to do so.